The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Kathy Wood, the high-profile money manager, ARK Invest CEO, is doubling down on innovation-focused stock picks like Coinbase, Tesla, and Teladoc. I know the most seasoned investors are saying that our stocks have been in a bubble-like territory. We couldn't disagree more. Social media, risks, regulation, and across the metaverse. I see people getting married in the metaverse now. God, it could have been so much better looking as a groom. You know what I mean? Plus, Apple made a secret five-year deal with the Chinese government. CNBC's John Ford on the case. You got to think these companies, these CEOs, have got to have a red line somewhere and, uh, you know, a plan B and what they will actually do if and probably when the government asks them to do something and maybe insists on it that they're just not willing to do. Those stories plus unions, maybe, coming to Starbucks. I wouldn't like to be dealing with a lot of the public to come in and something's wrong with my latte. I mean, everybody should have the right to unionize if they decide. It's Thursday, December 9th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Instagram, big, big. I think I have an account, but it's really not mine. Um, I don't know how that, that works, but uh, Instagram CEO Adam Mosseri testified for the first time before Congress yesterday about the impact of the platform on young children and teens. The reality is that keeping people safe is not just about any one company. An external survey just last month suggested that more teens are using TikTok and YouTube than Instagram. This is an industry-wide challenge and requires industry-wide solutions and industry-wide standards. He told a Senate subcommittee that he would not commit to permanently ending plans to create a version of the platform for kids under 13 of those plans currently are on hold. He said the initial goal of that product was to solve the problem of preteens wanting to use Instagram, and then the, the difficult, yeah, and the difficult, I know, how are we gonna squeeze every time out of that? And, 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 and get them buying these products early from our advertisers. And the difficulty of verifying age, Masseri is the highest ranking employee uh, of Meta to testify since a former Facebook uh, employee released a trove of internal research documents to journalists, including one that found a link between Instagram uh, and teens who reported suicidal thoughts. Can you have meta the avatars in the metaverse um, playing games for you? Could you do that? I mean, uh, uh, yes. I don't know. I'm so confused about. I see people getting married in the metaverse now. I did see God, that. God, it could have been so much better looking uh, <laughs> as, a, as a groom. You know what I mean? Any goodwill you might have built up by saying, we're going to hold off on this Instagram, pack, uh, um, yeah. Instagram for youngsters idea. We're going to reconsider that. They did roll out some, some changes that I thought were good ones earlier this week. We talked about that, the idea of not allowing people to comment unless you follow them and they follow you. Um, 
But, yeah, they, uh, I'm not going to say that we're going to do this for forever. In fact, as soon as I get away from the cameras and, and away from yeah. the Washington people, the regulators who are weighing down on us, we're, we're going to go back to those plans. It kind of kills your, your goodwill that you, you might have built up to that point. Is it we're going to find a way to monitor it because they're already doing it? Is that sort of the, the rationale? If you monitor it, then you can... Right. No, no. The, no, the point that they would make, and I, I'm actually probably closer to that side, Becky, just so you know, which is, I think, unfortunately, there are uh, a lot of a uh, lot of kids out there that are playing on on these social media platforms to begin with. I wish they weren't. I wish that parents had a better but handle of it. I wish that there were better tools for parents to keep a handle on it. Uh, but, you know, uh, um, I'm even finding my own kids uh, seem, seem to be better. I mean, this is everything that I thought would never happen. I thought <laughs> I thought I'd actually be able to keep an eye on everything and it's hard it's hard and so the question so is so we're not going to miss you, out on that market no, no but not only that no no if you but if you don't build the tools to figure out how to deal with it in some way then you sort of live in this wild west which is sort of what's happening i mean so, i think some of the tools that they rolled out were kind of good to try to figure out think, how, to, how to get there I, I i think you need more tools and I, honestly, I'd love some oversight from some of these regulators who have been trying for a while. We had Mark Warner on yesterday. It seems like it's a bipartisan type of idea. You don't want kids being exploited and bullied and kind of beat up on and all done in, in, in the name of profit. I, I think that's a good thing. I would love to see Congress actually do something about it instead of just talk about it. And, and as commercials, they're begging Facebook, uh, whatever you want to call it. You watch this. They're really nice people that they got, uh, that they sit, they sit down across, you see them getting interviewed, trying to, trying to explain how hard it is to do everything um, perfectly, to, 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 to try to monitor good and bad and trying to decide with it and how difficult it is. And the, the one guy they got, he just seems so nice. And it's like, God, it's such a hard, and they're, they're, they're kind of, at the end, they're like appealing, we really can't do this on our own. We need some guidance from regulators, which I don't know if they're, if they're really, and then they had another really nice person, same overall person is interviewing all of them. And I, but I'm watching them go, God, they're nice. Facebook is nice, but, but they're, but hold they're on. The, trying the hard. The cynical view is they're asking for regulation because they know they're not going right. to get it. Which, and, and, which, because and, I, the, and they can't I think can't you either. can hold both ideas in your, you can I, hold I both ideas even, in your head I wouldn't even time. take that cynical that's, view. That's, I, I, I mean, but, I'd but like to see the regulators That's Tom. probably true. But the other, but the other truth How is would you like to try? it actually is hard. It is hard. It is so hard. That's what I mean. It's hard to monitor this stuff, but it's it's something that... It's hard to take that claim seriously when you're doing things to make sure that you are engaging people for as long as possible and engaging teens and gaming, gaming the whole system to know that if I do this and if I create, a, you know, the 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 metric setup so that if bad things happen to keep people on longer on the platform, maybe we float those things to the top of the timeline. I mean, that's it. Sure, you can say it's hard to monitor this stuff, but when you are at the same time doing things right. that that amplify that 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 hate right. and the anger, then, you know, it's, it's hard to take and, you it's seriously. It's a wink and a nod. We just were overwhelmed with right. all it's not the... Like you're, it's not like this is just right. an open feed and anything, you know, it all flows through like water through a like pipe. It's out of our control. They're manipulating but then it they, to make yeah. some of these things float to the top of your feed. And, and they're doing things that amplify some of the bad things out there. So I, I can appreciate that it's difficult, but I don't take you seriously when you are doing things at the same time to manipulate that. Well, That's, in the end, in the end, if bad things end up happening and you see, you know, any of these things, depression or anxiety or any other thing increase, it's going it. to come back to haunt them and they're going to have 
problems that, you know, so hopefully it's somewhat self-correcting. And, and it's, it's not just them. I, I agree. It is not just them. There are all of these platforms that are doing it. They just happen to be the biggest and the most powerful. And so you are going to draw the most attention and people are going to look to you to set the example when that's the case. Starbucks baristas in uh, the Buffalo, New York area concluded voting yesterday on whether to unionize. About 100 workers were eligible to vote across three of the company's 19 locations in the area. The votes will be counted later today. And if the vote passes, the three locations would be the first unionized Starbucks in the country. Uh, Workers supporting uh, the union say they're looking for better staffing, training, and pay. Uh, They also want uh, the right to directly negotiate their pay and benefits with the company uh, itself. Starbucks executives, including former CEO Howard Schultz, have been urging workers to vote against the union. Whoa, is that a quandary or what for for Howard? Uh, Not in my backyard, Um, but that's got to be a a dilemma uh, for him Uh, on so many issues. He's he's so woke. Um, I feel bad. Anyway, the the employees are saying that the company is listening and responding to their concerns. Joe, Joe, you know, what's... What's so fascinating, though, about this particular uh, effort in, in Buffalo is, one, is it, it looks like it is, um, if you really get into the details, it was a planned effort uh, to unionize, meaning if you look at the people they hired in that store, I mean, the whole thing looks, appears to have been organized in a way that's slightly remarkable. Like, how do you hire, does, does, how do you hire people in correct. that store unless the manager's on board with it? That's what happened. Right. Correct. Correct. Uh, the, 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 there is there is an element to which this doesn't appear to be a quote unquote. I don't as think that necessarily makes it. Might, a, what does that? Why is that bad? It's called organized labor. So they organized this this effort. I don't understand why that's necessarily what's, a bad what's thing. What's so interesting? Andrew. No, but what's so interesting about it is here's a company that, on a relative basis, to just about every other, I don't know if you want to put them in the I fast food category. Than I know any that. Other, I mean, that's what Howard's saying. Healthcare and education. I know and all that. They're great, they're great that corporate. None of these other companies ever did. And right? so the idea is so that they I don't think, need a I union. Think union this, well, I, I, what I'm suggesting is I think what that this union, this union organization thinks that if they can do it, do it here, and they can break effectively right. this break oh, into Starbucks here, then they're going to break across the country. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if, if that actually happens or whether that's, that's Andrew, I, I would think you would be for this. And I, it's weird that we're on opposite sides again. But with the way that union participation has dropped uh, over the years down to whatever it is now, very low levels uh, based historically. And to not not to see this as, as a way to take back some power for the employee uh, after, you know, employees have not benefited uh, as much as shareholders and corporate managers, it's just hard for me to right. understand how it's you have this wrong-minded. <laughs> how you have this wrong-minded idea about this? Uh, I'm and not, very not, sympathetic. I'm, I'm very sympathetic to employees at a lot of other companies. I'm actually less. I mean, but the, not at this my, one. My sympathy. Why should they be? Starbucks why should they not be actually, able to unionize? It's like it, the it, wrong company to go after in that regard. On a relative basis. I think that's bad, Andrew. I think I, I'm t- disappointed, frankly. Look, I frankly. will say my sister-in-law worked there a while ago when she just got out of school. And the, part of the reason was the benefits were so great. Some of the things that no they would get with it, with no health and things beyond it. So you unionize and then say, you're happy with the benefits. And, and But if you, yeah. there may be certain things that you're not happy with, I, I know that they, they get worked pretty hard. I wouldn't like to be dealing with a lot of the public that come in and, you know, something's wrong with my latte. I, I, I mean, I can see... I mean, everybody should have the right to unionize, Andrew, if they decide. I don't think I just because— I didn't say they did—no, no, no. I didn't say that they don't have the right to unionize. I'm saying I think that 
if you dig underneath the, the sheets, if you will, you'd see that this is a much more concerted effort than, than just well, a bunch of To get in one story, hey. that's why the company has done things like say, okay, it, it's not going to be just at this one store. It will be all the stores in the Buffalo area. And unless but, it passes at all of those, not. then it, Becky, right, that's what they not. were trying that, to do. That's what the company was right. trying to get set up. To, to right, because, because it's not actually representative of, of all, even, even the Buffalo base. area. It's representative yeah. of one store that is purposely organized almost for the single purpose of create of, of this issue. Well, their prerogative. The free fruit. country, that's their prerogative. Now we got to get Amazon and some of these other places. We got to, you know, and they have, all these places are trying to do their best, Andrew, right? But that doesn't mean that I, that's why I was, you know, that you saw what I was doing. I, I baited you with this with Howard Schultz saying that. I know that, what you're doing. I know. <laughs> saying, Howard, oh my God, all this virtue signaling for 20 years up in smoke. When I actually, when it's in my company itself, poor Howard, he's in a, between a rock and a hard place. What? But I don't put it in the category of virtue signaling. Why, why do you no, say that? No, all of this previous virtue, and then not to come down on the proper side of this because it's his company and it could impact the bottom line or whatever he's worried about. I just think it's just uh, ironic. And I just, oh, no, you know, I think, I, I, think I just am raising it. an eye. That you wouldn't I, be able I, to provide. I'm enjoying the truth it. Is that if you, I'm just saying I'm enjoying it. I think the truth it. is you wouldn't be able to provide all those services, potentially, okay. depending on how, how, how things are. I never thought I'd see the day. I never thought I'd see the day. But that's why Squawk Box is so great. We switch just to be in opposition. It's awesome. Because we're all psychopaths. Next on Squawk Pod, ARK Invest founder and CEO Kathy Wood says hedge funds and other big money managers could add to Bitcoin's value. We think that the move by institutions into Bitcoin could add $500,000 to Bitcoin's price if they moved into the tune of roughly 5% over time. Her thoughts on crypto, Tesla, and Twitter next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. Our next guest, almost synonymous with, with some of the, the greatest growth and in, in story stocks that we've seen in, uh, in, in recent years. She was there early, been a long time uh, a guest on the show. Uh, and we knew you when, Kathy Wood, CEO and CIO uh, of ARK Investments. It's great to, uh, to have you here uh, this morning. To be here again, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. 
You, you are very welcome. I, you know, I, I want to start, and we'll talk about your transparency ETF in, uh, in just a minute, but you're so associated with some of the greatest names in, in technology and some of the biggest, I guess, percentage gainers over the past three, four, five years. It's almost synonymous with, with ARK Invest and, and Kathy Wood at this point. I guess my question at this point would be, with interest rates perhaps finally moving in the opposite direction, does the whole thesis um, uh, of seeing growth potential that goes out a number of years, uh, as interest rates move up, it, does it threaten that thesis? And do you expect less robust returns? Is that to be expected in a lot of, of your funds? Well, I think the market believes that because our performance this year has been challenged by exactly that, fears of inflation and interest rates picking up. It's been very interesting to us that once uh, Chairman Powell uh, made the statement that uh, perhaps inflation is not transitory, that long-term interest rates actually came down. The bond market is telling us something here and the yield curve flattened. Uh, the bond market is telling us uh, either that we're going into a recession next year because inventories are piling up or will pile up, uh, or that inflation is going to surprise on the low side of expectations. Um, and we would bet uh, more on the latter, although we do believe there's an inventory issue brewing out there. Well, Kathy, would you tell your investors that, I mean, w w would you emphasize maybe that past performance isn't necessarily guaranteed in the future, the type of outsized returns that, uh, that, that some of your major holdings uh, have delivered in the past? Is, is that fair to say? Well, uh, we, we always say that, but I will tell you since February uh, through today, uh, we have seen such a correction in it, primarily in innovation stocks as the market has scaled uh, to all time highs that uh, based on our estimates, and of course we could be wrong, uh, our five year compound annual rate of return expectation has gone from 15% at the peak in March to nearly 40% today. So from a doubling over five years to a quadrupling over five years. Now we could be wrong, but I think our research is, on innovation is the best in the business. And I also believe that most uh, investors, and I know the most seasoned investors out there, some of them are saying that our stocks have been in, in bubble-like territory. We couldn't disagree more because we are seeing five major innovation platforms involving 14 technologies, all moving into exponential growth trajectories simultaneously, and they're converging. If we're right that autonomous taxi networks are going to evolve during the next five to 10 years, uh, then that involves the convergence of three major platforms, robotics, energy storage, and artificial intelligence. And all of them are scaling dramatically. What I like about this period is many, many people are saying those stocks were in a bubble and they deserve to correct. Uh, that tells me we are nowhere near a bubble. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite has happened. All of the seeds for what is going on right now were planted in the 20 years that ended in the bubble. They've germinated for the last uh, uh, 20, 30, almost 40 years. And now they're about to flourish and people are running away. They ran 
toward them way too soon during the tech and telecom bubble. And here we are ready for prime time. And we've got all this fear, uncertainty and doubt. As a portfolio manager, I actually love that backdrop. I find the discussion fascinating, and I've been been approaching it from two sides, Kathy, and that is, okay, rates probably are headed up. Uh, some of these, uh, these innovations are going to take years to come to fruition, so you won't see near-term uh, um, earnings. You won't see any of that, maybe. But to get in on these things, at this point, if innovation is going to continue to, sh to the time that it takes to shrink, and I actually, you know, I'm a Kurzweil fan and Singularity and, and everything else. I mean, the, the time dilation for, for quantum leaps in technology is getting smaller by the year. So you may have to pay up because it's going to happen much faster than people think. And we've seen that in a lot of the stocks that you've been in already. So maybe, I hate to say it might be different this time because it never is, but I don't know whether you need to worry about multiple contraction when you're at, at the, really at the forefront of some of these just earth-shattering innovations. Does that well, make sense? And the, it makes sense. And there's one other uh, assumption we make uh, when we're talking about valuations. We assume massive multiple compression down to fang-like multiples in five years in our five-year projection. So we're already assuming multiple contraction just to be conservative. Now, do we think that uh, the, the stocks in our portfolio and the companies underlying them are going to be as mature as the fangs in five years? No, we're just being conservative, very conservative. Most, uh, I, I guess, because of where we are today and the PE ratios, many people think we're in nosebleed territory. What they don't understand is we assume massive multiple compression. And I won't say we assume it either because interest rates are going up. In fact, uh, the, the, the convergence between and among the, the five major technologies, DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology, the, that convergence is going to be so massively deflationary that we actually think interest rates will remain surprisingly low. I just, uh, but I'm back to, uh, now just flipping to the other side, um, it, it just, it doesn't seem like it's always going to work to pick the most beloved growth stocks, put them in an ETF and assume that you're going to have great returns and become iconic, which you, which you have done, uh, Kathy. Let me ask you about, let me ask you about crypto, uh, which uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a piece out. I think maybe CNBC even uh, talked to, uh, to money manage, managers, and that is ripe in 75% of those polled, that's ripe for a major correction or a major uh, letting out of, of a lot of air in that, in that sector. Does that sound like consensus, uh, something to go the, the other way on to you or, or not? Well, yes, I believe it is. Uh, I think institutions are moving in. And right now, uh, crypto of any sort, uh, they're starting with Bitcoin and Ether, crypto of any sort is a de minimis amount or percentage of institutional portfolios. Uh, the reason institutions are moving in is, uh, to some extent, this is a new asset class with correlations very different uh, uh, compared to other asset classes. In fact, uh, Yassin Almandra did a, a study on this and found that the closest, and we did it with Bitcoin, uh, the closest correlation uh, among or, or to other assets was real estate. 
and so institutional managers have to look at new asset classes that are evolving that have low correlations. That's that's the key to diversification, and it's the holy grail, grail in terms of asset allocation. So we think that the move actually it, by institutions into uh, Bitcoin, if we were to choose Bitcoin, and, and that seems to be their first stop, uh, could add $500,000 to Bitcoin's price if they moved into the tune of roughly 5% over time. Kathy, you could talk about, uh, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Tesla or Twitter or some of your other uh, holdings. Can you, can you opine quickly on, on what do you think about Tesla and where it is right now? Elon Musk's uh, recent comments about the build back better build, build back better build, a lot of bees. Uh, <laughs> but can you comment on, on that and Twitter? I know you recently... Um, I, I tend to agree with uh, Elon Musk. Uh, I, I think uh, t- I, more people understand now that the the electric age is here. And so uh, Tesla is being rewarded accordingly. It has the highest uh, market share out there. And it has, even now, four barriers to entry that other companies are having difficulty overcoming, especially when it comes to battery technology and artificial intelligence, which will lead to autonomous And that's now where Tesla is undervalued. You have to assume uh, that uh, the the autonomous strategy is going to work. We assume in our $3,000 forecast uh, that there's a 50% chance uh, that that its autonomous strategy is going to uh, play out. Uh, And our confidence is beginning to increase now that the pilot test is taking place and you've got devoted Tesla owners uh, really identifying the corner cases that are uh, causing problems for full self-driving. So uh, we're pretty we're pretty excited about that. Uh, Even its electric strategy should take the stock uh, much higher than it is right now, but we are gratified to see that others are beginning to understand this story, and uh, and that Tesla is acting a little more fang-like uh, than it ever has. How about Twitter? Uh, that we, you know, that you got to buy that, and this, I, I guess, uh, not watch it every day. Probably there's uh, a lot of a lot of headwinds. Well, we we love so the new CEO we think has been had been working with Jack closely on some of the new monetization strategies. Uh, we think tipping will be one of those. But there is a sleeper in, in Twitter that we think most uh, people don't understand. Uh, we've moved into an age of NFTs, non fungible tokens. And they will need a verification platform. Uh, NFTs are all about scarcity. And uh, verification is uh, testimony to scare- scarcity. So we think uh, Twitter might play a bigger role in that realm. And then, well, the, the main reason we own it, you know, this uh, we use it prolifically, prolifically, as you do as well, Joe. Uh, and what we're seeing is that that this platform, which used to be dominated by tweens, teens, and celebrities in uh, 2012, when we first evolved our research ecosystem, has now evolved to knowledge workers. And uh, we found it, we find it essential at ARC to engage 
engage with the communities we are researching and actually to become a part of those communities. This is a very powerful social network. And, and if you're talking about knowledge workers, you're talking about one of the premier uh, demographic profiles out there. So we think from an advertising point of view, you've seen uh, advertising turnaround on Twitter. We think that's going to continue. And we think more and more users will understand how essential this tool is to knowledge workers. We all want to be transparent, I guess. I don't know, sometimes I don't feel like being that transparent, but uh, is there definitely a correlation between transparency and stock performance? And, and I guess that's the rationale behind this new ETF. Explain that to us. Yes, uh, so Paul Pagnotto, who's uh, CEO of Transparency uh, Invest, uh, after the 0809 crisis began to study this phenomenon. Uh, and of course, 0809 was all about the lack of transparency. Uh, and so he devised uh, an index, and you can find the index on our website, arc-invest.com, uh, which evaluates uh, which are the 100 most transparent companies in the world. So the ETF is CTRU, CTRU, uh, uh, has a nice ring there. And, um, you know, transparency has, for ARC, has, has been golden. We're uh, able to, uh, to have dialogues with our clients and prospective clients and anyone about innovation. And we have had more coming back to us in terms of information uh, at times than we have put out there. Because as you know, we give away our research. We are radically transparent in terms of giving away our research disclosing our holdings at the end of every day as all ETFs have to do, but also disclosing our trades at the end of every day. And it has accrued to our benefit. In many ways, ARK Invest has gone viral uh, as a brand because we're willing to share and engage with uh, our clients, prospective clients, but really anyone in terms of educating them about innovation. Uh, the, the, the return uh, from transparency has been huge for us. Well, I don't uh, want to have you back soon. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much. And uh, in the interest of transparency, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got to go. So thank you. Um, in the interest of transparency, but I, I'm out of here. Thanks, Becky. You said you were opposed to transparency. I almost fell off of my chair. I know your every waking thought and action. Um, you are transparent, Joe, and he's already gone. He's already gone. Yeah, we know where he is. Next on Squawk Pod, Apple CEO Tim Cook signed a $275 billion deal with the Chinese government to make local investments. Could it explain Apple's strong showing in the country? And does the deal pose a problem? CNBC's John Fort has both sides coming up. Tim Cook managed to sidestep mandates like giving the government access to source code and bringing in a Chinese partner to run its app store. And these kinds of concessions to the Chinese government aren't unusual. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 
everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Apple promised the Chinese government about five years ago that it would make local investments worth around a quarter trillion dollars. This is a move that might explain Apple's strong showing in the country. But with U.S.-China relations in a precarious place, does Apple's deal now pose a problem? John Ford is here to weigh in. John, good morning. Morning, Becky. Uh, no, it's not a problem. In fact, there are probably some diplomats who could learn a few things from how Apple's done it. Now, according to a story this week in The Information, Apple in 2016 committed to spending big on business deals, workforce development and investments in China. But that doesn't mean the company turned over its technical blueprints to government officials. CEO Tim Cook managed to sidestep mandates like giving the government access to source code and bringing in a Chinese partner to run its app store. And these kinds of concessions to the Chinese government aren't unusual. HP made them, Intel and Qualcomm made them, Cisco made them. The difference is that Apple's a lot bigger, makes a lot more money, and so invested at a larger scale. So what about user privacy and government surveillance? Well, There is no privacy from the government in China. The problem isn't Apple giving the Chinese government power to spy on its citizens. The problem would be if Apple were exporting China's philosophy on technology and surveillance to the rest of the world. And it's not. Apple's doing this right, Becky. John, what about some of the things that Apple's given up, though? Things like censorship when it comes to the Chinese app stores in order to please the government. Yeah, well, on the other hand, it's... uh, It's not like Apple's just obeying the law in China. Apple's blessing China's authoritarian regime with superpowers. In China, iCloud, the service that records everything on your phone and all your messages, it's managed on servers run by the government. Even better, Apple's iPhone just became the single most popular phone in China. You think that would happen if China viewed the iPhone as a threat? Okay, it's understandable that Apple promised to invest capital in the Chinese economy to operate there. But What that has also done is made Apple a stakeholder in China's oppressive system. Apple's tightly controlled app store is a very convenient tool when the government is using it to make sure that people like Guo Wengui, the exiled billionaire, can't have a forum to criticize the government and show the people another point of view. And when you've got the most powerful company in the world working to squash free speech in China with the same fervor that they're working to squash pornography or misinformation in the U.S., well, you've got to reconsider who's really winning here. Not freedom, not Apple. Is this any different than any company that does business in China? I think it's a little different in that uh, not only is China a huge growth market for Apple, it's also where the iPhone itself is assembled. And they've got these stores there that, say, 15, 20 years ago, it was all kind of knockoffs and unauthorized third-party retailers operating there. So it's become such an important volume spot for Apple and assembly spot. And Apple's so big, they, they can't afford, I think, to do what Facebook and Google have done, which is kind of draw a map of the world with a big hole where China is. So any company that, that really has a huge part of its business there, and, and uh, you're right, Apple has some unique positions, but I'm thinking of companies like a Tesla maybe a Starbucks, other companies down the road, too. I mean, it's a big market, the biggest in the world. And if 
you don't operate there. If you operate there, you have to follow the rules. If you don't operate there, you're missing a huge market. Yeah, I think on the one side, well, I'm not going to say hand on, on this one, Apple's probably got more insight into how the Chinese government, the economy operate than most any company because of the depth of their relationship. And there's value to that. But you got to think these companies, these CEOs have got to have a red line somewhere and, uh, you know, a plan B and what they will actually do if and probably when the government asks them to do something and maybe insists on it that they're just not willing to do. Hey, John, quick curveball, because we're talking about Apple, yeah. this epic decision. What do you think? To I me, mean, it seems like a big, a massive big, win for Apple. That's a big win. Almost like massive. Yeah, I mean, they get to keep the status quo while this gets figured out. And, uh, you know, for, for these companies where innovation moves so fast and the dollars are real, especially right now, relying on, uh, you know, digital businesses and the App Store, I mean, that means for the foreseeable future, things are going to stay the same. John, thank you. And that is the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. And hey, share this podcast with a friend. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.